In this episode, I'm joined by Casey Goss of Viral Launch, where Casey reveals product selection and PPC strategies to help you drive sales and grow your business. You're listening to the Amazon Private Labeler Show podcast, hosted by seven-figure e-commerce seller and digital entrepreneur, Nick Landowski. This is the show to get the tips and strategies to take your business to the next level. So strap in and get ready, because it's time to escape the rat race and build your own e-commerce empire. Let's do this. Hey everybody, what is going on? Welcome to episode number 116 of the Private Labeler Show. I am absolutely pumped up. Hopefully you guys are pumped as well. We got a great one in store for you today, a real barn burner. And uh, hopefully you guys' businesses are just rocking and rolling, crushing it, kicking butt, taking names, making all kinds of money. You guys are working hard, I know it and uh, making 2019 your best year ever. So again, thanks for tuning in. You guys are all amazing. And thank you to everybody that has left iTunes reviews. I think we're up to 136, if I'm not mistaken. So that is super cool. Again, I appreciate all the love and the support that the podcast is getting. So if you haven't yet left a review on iTunes, please go ahead and do so. Also, while you're at it, if you could subscribe to the show there, that would mean a lot, a lot to me. So thank you in advance for that. So again, as I mentioned, guys, we got a barn burner in store for you today. This is a great one. Um, today, I am joined by the one and only Casey Goss of Viral Launch. Now, if you don't know who Casey is, uh, Casey is a wealth of knowledge in all things Amazon. So he's the CEO of Viral Launch. Uh, he is a very, very smart guy and very uh, a very great asset to our seller community. So on this podcast, Casey and I talk a lot about product research, PPC strategies. We even talk about like the mindset that it takes to get from kind of where you're at to becoming an eight-figure, even a nine-figure seller. So we go deep into a lot of different things. Uh, there's just tons of gold nuggets dropped all over the place on this podcast. So you might actually want to listen to it twice. So you got to make sure that you listen to the very end so you don't miss anything because there's just so much good stuff coming out of this one. And after our conversation, what I will do, keep listening because I'm going to recap our entire conversation to kind of give you the quick hit takeaways so that way you have maximum impact uh, from this podcast so that you can start implementing anything that maybe came to mind that we were talking about because there's a lot to unpack in this one. So I will also create a blog post that corresponds with this to kind of give you the outline and the quick hits. Again, if you want to reference that. And uh, you know what? I'm not going to waste any more time here. Let's just get to my conversation with Casey from Viral Launch. Hey, everybody. I would like to introduce to you Mr. Casey Goss of Viral Launch. Casey, welcome to the show. Nick, what's going on? Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for joining, man. I really appreciate it. Now, for the handful of people out there that don't know who you are, because I know you're very active in the community, which is great, uh, <laughs> could you just tell them a little bit about yourself and your company, Viral Launch? Yeah. So, you know, my name is Casey, 26, started Viral Launch about four years ago with a friend. And really, over the last 
two, three years, we've, we've taken Viral Launch from just a handful of people to about 70 people. We're based in Indianapolis, and we're just really focused on helping drive results for our customers. And so our customers are brands that consist of people just looking to get started on Amazon, trying to make some extra money, to some private label sellers that are doing nine figures, so that means over 100 million per year, and then we're also working with some major brands as well, some Fortune 1000 companies that you know, you're know you probably using, seeing uh, every day. So we have a, a pretty cool perspective on the space and we, we take advantage of that to, to help. You know, Here's what we see that is successful and here's how you can be successful. Here are the things that are not successful, so please stay away from them and so forth. Wow, 70 employees. That's I had no idea, Casey. That's amazing, congratulations <laughs> on that. Thank you. Uh, it's definitely a learning opportunity for you uh, as as you continue to build the team. Yeah, are they all working out of one office or a lot of them virtual or? So there's about sixty some that work out of our Indianapolis office. There's a and then probably I think it's like six or seven that are remote. Everybody is in the U.S. except for one is in Toronto. I see. You must have, you guys must have some pretty fun office parties. <laughs> uh, we do. Yeah, it's well every day's a party to to some degree. That's great, man. That's great. So what I want to do is uh, we want to talk um, a little bit about product selection just because uh, we were talking and I, I feel that it is so extremely important um, whether you're first just getting started or whether you're looking for your next product. You know, there, there's just you can never talk about it enough, in my opinion. And, and then from there, what we're going to do is we're going to transition to Amazon pay-per-click and driving traffic. But um, before we kind of really get to that, you know, you've been you've been in this space quite a while now. So, you know, a lot of us have, you know, kind of growing over the years and we've seen a lot. And I always like to get people's perspectives on yeah. kind of like the current state. So what we're in March 2019 and there's a lot going on. Amazon's rapidly evolving. Like Casey, what's your current assessment like of the current state of Amazon as we sit right now and also like what should we really be paying attention to as far as to where things are going? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I think I was thinking about this, you know, earlier this week, and I feel like I'm pretty dramatic about my opinion in the space from the standpoint of like, you know, around November, anywhere between October and December, I was just really kind of flustered. And, you know, Amazon is so difficult to get into. I was hanging out with some of my, you know, one of my nine figure uh, customers and they were just talking about how difficult Amazon is becoming and they're a little freaked out about it. So I was freaked out and over the last few months, um, I've, I've been a lot more optimistic about the opportunity that still exists in Amazon. So I still think that there's a lot of opportunity. Now, I think that it requires a different type of entrepreneur to come in to be successful than it did four years ago. Four years ago was very easy, uh, extremely easy, and you, you didn't really have to put in that much work. You didn't really have to do a ton of research, but now you just have to be very uh, diligent, very rigorous around your process to go and have success. So current state of Amazon, so much is changing and you have to really be willing to adapt and you have to be very resilient if you're coming into the space. Um, but there's still a lot of opportunity. Um, yeah, I, I think that about covers it. Okay, excellent. Now, again, somebody that's just just getting their feet wet, just getting started, like what what's some basic advice that you would give to them that's tried and true that is going to get them to success? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a land 
mind out there, or it's a minefield out there from the standpoint of there's so much information. Some of that information is two, three, four years old at this point and irrelevant. Um, so my, my advice in general is to find a couple people um, that you know are doing well on Amazon for themselves and follow those people. You're going to see a lot of advice from a lot of different people, but a lot of people giving advice are not people that are going and doing it for themselves. Um, and the people that are doing it for themselves right now, not, not just three years ago were they successful, but right now they're having success. Those are the people that you are going to want to listen to, um, to, to be successful or else you will be misled based on tactics that were, um, that were, that were, you know, successful a couple of years ago. And then just, just secondly, uh, you know, can't express this enough, <laughs> do a lot of research and take your time. Don't cut corners because especially in the beginning, cutting corners is going to really set you up for failure. And, you know, one failure could be enough to, to push you out of the Amazon game. Wow. Excellent advice. Excellent advice. So you mentioned that you guys work with, seven figure sellers, eight figure sellers and nine figure sellers. That's just bananas. Jesus. Yeah. My gosh. Um, you know, what, what advice would you give? You know, there's actually a lot of seven figure sellers now on Amazon. They just came out with a report that, uh, the amount of sellers doing over a million a year has gone up like 20%. So like people yeah. are really hitting high levels, which is awesome. especially in the, in the private label space. Um, you know, what advice would you give a seller that's already doing seven figures that wants to take it to that next level doing eight figures and then dare I say nine figures I don't know it's possible yeah so the biggest like blocker I see for people that hit the seven figure mark and are struggling to hit the eight figure mark is that at once they once they get to um, it's usually somewhere around two to five million is where I see this so once they get to about two to five million now you know it's like psychologically they've done well and like now they're trying to figure out what is the hack or what is the secret to get to eight figures and there is no secret. And so I, I think a lot of people spend time either they get to seven figures and they lose focus and you know, they're, they're hanging out at a million different masterminds and they implement nothing because they're too busy hanging out at the beach or the bar or whatever it may be. Um, so there's that. And then there's people that get to seven figures and they think that they have to put together this whole different type of strategy to get to eight figures. And what helped you get to seven figures is what is, is like exactly what's going to help you to get to eight figures. Um, there's like one difference. So if, if you are selling $2 million per year as a seven figure seller, then just launch, you know, let's say you're selling 10 different products. Now just launch uh, 10 additional products and now you're going to be at $4 million and launch two more products and, or sorry, 10 more products and you're going to be at $6 million. And so I, I, I think that people, and obviously there's some logistics, uh, there, but I just see so many people get to seven figures and now they think, wow, I need to get to Shopify. I need to get into retail. And these are like healthy, natural aspirations but I've seen far too many people get distracted at the at that seven-figure mark where they tr start trying to push heavily into Shopify or into retail, and they end up failing or, or losing market share in their, their Amazon business. And so sales either stay very stagnant or they start to decline. And kind of, the, the, yeah, so, so it's kind of the idea of just keep the focus on what's already working. Yeah, 100%. And then the, the only other thing is that the the other major reason I see sellers get stuck at the seven-figure mark is because they were able to get to seven figures by themselves 
or or you know with a couple of VAs. And so, but when you try to double your catalog or triple your catalog or quadruple it, now you know there's in, increasing complexities. And in order to juggle all of these balls, like you you need some additional teammates to help you out. And so the the people that are not willing to to bring on some additional help or to to build a team, maybe they've been hurt in the past or and they're jaded to it for some reason. Uh, those people are the ones that really become the bottleneck and struggle to scale. Um, so I just can't encourage you enough to you know build a team. You're gonna fail, but that failure is gonna teach you a lot and it's gonna help you to be a more successful entrepreneur long term. Okay, yeah, I agree. That's excellent, man. Excellent advice there. So let's so let's jump into some product selection stuff, which I know is one of your areas of expertise. And I know that, you know, you, you teach the community quite a bit. And, um, you know, I, I just want to ask you, since, since you're in this, you got your ear to the ground in this type of stuff all the time. Like, what are, what do you see some of the biggest mistakes sellers making when it comes to product selection? So probably the biggest mistake when there's a lot, there's a lot, but the biggest mistake is that sellers don't go and try to understand how to make that product successful. So they they use some tool or they come up with an idea for a product. Um, you know, I'll give you a, a very real example is a couple of, of guys, this is a while ago, a couple of guys came to me, they're like, hey, you know, we have IT backgrounds, more people are using the internet than ever and that's only gonna continue to grow, so we want to sell uh, routers. And if you go look at the router space, it's like incredibly uh, competitive. And so basically they went source, invested a ton of money in routers, but they had no idea how they were going to make that router actually successful. It doesn't matter how great your product is. If you can't get it in front of people, if you can't build social proof around that product, it's going to be very, very difficult to go and have success. So the, the sellers that aren't like Product research is more than just finding a product idea that like satisfies some criteria. Maybe it has low reviews, um, good overall sales, like the the price trend is is trending well, and so forth. Um, but you also need to go and do some due diligence around. Okay, here I am going to sell widget X. Let's say it's a grill press, but how can I actually go and make that grill press successful? What are the keywords that are driving the sales? How competitive are each one of those keywords? How how aggressive are my competitors being in advertising? Like there's a lot that you have to uh, dig into because like, again, the whole focus is on making this product successful once you get it in. And I've just seen far too many people, they get a product and then they don't know what key, they get it into Amazon. They don't know what keywords they're supposed to be going after, or they realize that those keywords are super competitive and like it's, it's, it's tough to actually have success, even if you have a great product. Okay. And you know, we were talking about kind of the makeup of like an eight figure seller and even a nine figure seller, do they, uh, do they approach product selection differently than everybody else? Or is it still the same basic philosophies, but they're just doing more products? Like, is that, is that kind of the, the deal there? Or do they look at things completely different than maybe the, you know, the guy that's just getting started? Yeah, I, I think that there's kind of two types of sellers. There's the opportunistic sellers that are just looking for great opportunities and they, they're looking for, you know, great cash flow essentially. So they'll go and find these arbitrage opportunities of products. So one product is a neck hammock. The other product is uh, an orange peeler. And, you know, there's, there's no rhyme or reason to, to the, the, 
the portfolio of products other than there's great opportunity. So for those sellers, they're really getting deep into, um, they're basically looking at products kind of the, the way that I was talking about, you know, is, is there a great sales to review ratio? What is the margin on this, this product on average? And what is it going to take for me to go and make this product successful? Then there's the people that are focused on building kind of this cohesive portfolio or, or a brand essentially. Um, maybe they have aspirations of taking it outside of Amazon and so forth. And so those sellers, I think the way that they are looking at product selection and, and should be looking at product selection is they probably have a, a cohesive line of products all focused on kind of the same customer base. So, you know, the, the, moms that are focused on fitness, for example. So they're going to launch a line of products for that, that demographic or that audience that they're really drilled into. But the way that they're going to prioritize which products to launch, they're not going to launch all 30 products at once. The way that they're going to prioritize those products is by looking at the opportunity. So let's say you're focused on um, fitness moms and there's uh, a speed jump rope and there's a foam roller. Well, if the foam roller is going to be a lot less competitive and it's not going to cost as much money to, to get that product up and running and selling well, then they're going to choose the foam roller. Then they'll choose the jump rope once they have a little bit more capital or they have a little bit more of an audience that is going to help them to launch that product. So bottom line, just a lot more thought and strategy. Yes, they're really thinking this through and and kind of sketching everything out and kind of envisioning a big picture versus just going picking a random product and kind of just throwing it out there. So, yeah, that's that's really the difference is strategy, because, you know, if you're going to get to that type of scale, you need a plan. A hundred percent. So, you know, I'm just kind of kind of curious here. You you, you're in this space. you, You see a lot of things like what are the hot categories or hot niches maybe on the horizon that you see as potential opportunities for sellers to kind of stake their claim in? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that I, I I prefer to really share hot categories, essentially. I am definitely a fan of the more mundane categories, if you will. So I, I, I've just seen far too many people get burned jumping into the latest fad or trendy items um, because a lot of people end up jumping into those trendy items. Your focus should absolutely be on the products that no one else is paying attention to. It's just going to be a lot easier. So I like things like I'm Again, I don't really want to give out categories in general, but like office products has a lot of like boring products. And while it might not be as exciting when you're at a cocktail party telling people that you sell uh, paperclip holders or whatever, um, that's going to be a lot more exciting when you can tell them that you're a seven figure seller, you have great margin because it's not super competitive and like it's a very stable market, if that makes sense. Oh, it's hundred percent. You know, you mentioned office products and I, I kind of had a little chuckle out about that because, uh, on occasion, I'll, I'll run into those opportunities there and I'm going, yeah, you know, but I'm just not that excited about this one or whatever <laughs> it might be. But I used to kind of work in that industry and I know there's a ton of margin in it and, you know, there's, there's a lot of opportunity in it. And I'm just kind of like, God, you know, again, what you mentioned about, it's not something you're excited to tell your friends about. So I like, yeah. that, I like that philosophy though. Yeah. You know, it doesn't always have to be the sexy thing as long as it makes money and that's what you're cool with then there may be some outlying opportunities out there that, again, doesn't get everybody riled up. You know, it's not like fidget spinners or you right. know, whatever, that every, the, the hot and trendy thing that you kind of mentioned that's just fly by night here today, gone tomorrow. Yeah, it's going to be a lot sexier to, to 
tell all your friends that you know you're you're independent or you're making your own money you have all this passive income coming in versus yeah i tried amazon and it didn't work out because i got into the wrong market absolutely absolutely so um you guys have a really great tool that i love using uh viral launch you guys was it product discovery i think that's the name of it um how do you like how are sellers actually using that tool to find those jam opportunities or just that next opportunity? Like how are, how are they currently doing it? Like what's so unique about your tool compared to, I mean, I mean let's be honest, there's a ton of them out on the market. Oh yeah. So yeah. What, what separates you guys? Yeah. Great question. So the main, the main way that I, uh, trying to think of how to attack this. So there, there's a lot of differences. The, the majority or the biggest difference is that we just have four different types of, of, um, searches that you can do. You can search for individual ASINs. You can search for keywords. You can search for brands that satisfy your criteria. So, you know, you're thinking about getting into office products and you want to find a private label brand that is growing very quickly. Maybe they only have a few products, but they're selling a hundred thousand dollars a month. Like you can look for those brands to start getting some ideas around individual products and we'll show you you know, all their stats. And then there's category search, uh, which allows you to find kind of these niches of opportunity. So that's like the biggest difference. Um, there's, there's over a hundred filters. There's, there's a lot of really cool data in there that makes it uh, quite a bit different. But the, the way that you should be using this tool um, when you're doing your product selection, at the end of the day, you're looking for a product market, not an individual product to kind of replicate essentially. And so one, one area that we see a lot of people make mistakes is that when they're doing their product research, they come across an individual ASIN. So, you know, this product has low reviews, it's selling well and, you know, good margin. So the the seller says, well, shoot, I just want to replicate the success of this individual product. Let's, let's say it's a grill press uh, or a grill press, a grill brush. Um, and so this grill brush is performing really well. I want to replicate that product success. And again, the problem is, is that you're not paying attention to the overall market in which you're going to be operating in. You have no idea that that, that grill brush could be run by, you know, some wizard at Facebook ads. And that's where all the success is coming from. And that's why they're driving so many sales with no reviews. You have no idea how an individual product is, is successful essentially. So what you should be doing is you should be looking at keywords. And so we, we recommend people use our keyword search uh, type, um, which shows you keyword or product markets, essentially. A keyword is essentially a product market. And what this allows you to do is you're going to get the ideas of, like, say, Grill Brush, for example. And you're going to get stats around that market as a whole. So you can see um, the average price. You can see the average margin. You can see the average review quantity. So now you can start to get a much better feel of, um, kind of what the market overall or what the performance of the market is overall. And so on, on average, or it's, it's not, doesn't sound as cool. Um, but we tend to look at the average and assume that we are going to be average. So if we're selling a grill brush, I'm going to assume that I'm going to have average performance. I'm going to rank somewhere around position 10, let's say. And so I want to make sure that products selling around position 10 have low reviews, have good sales volume, good margin um, that I can compete with. And that that is where I'm going to be making my decision. I, I see far too many sellers making decisions based on the outliers. And again, so let's say the grill brush market, there's one seller at the very top. Let's say they're the only... A green grill brush and they have low reviews they're selling a ton of volume they're priced well and so a seller is going to say well 
if that product, if it's working so well for this product, I'm going to do the same. I'm going to expect the same kind of sales results. I'm not going to need many reviews. And the problem is, again, you just have no idea how that one green grill brush is having the success. Um, but if you take the average of the market, it's, it's pretty likely that uh, whatever stats you're seeing are indicative of what you can expect. Okay, excellent. Now, I know there's obviously using that tool, there's, there's a lot of different filters and things you can adjust and whatnot. In fact, the other day I was, when I was using it, um, it kind of occurred to me, I, I don't know if this is something you guys kind of preach or talk about with it, but um, what I was doing is I was looking for products that had, uh, or keywords that had a ton of search volume, like a yeah. lot. And I was kind of filtering that to find the high traffic or just what people are typing in um, and then trying to find where maybe there weren't a lot of products out there or the products that were there were like lower quality. So like, you know, zero to four star or what have you. And that's, just, you know, I just kind of came at it in a different angle than I, than I normally would ever think before. And, you know, I was finding things, just finding opportunities out there that I was like, wow, I never even would have thought of some of these things. And, uh, you know, just, it was just kind of like this whole thing of what's, what are people really typing into Amazon? What are they searching for? And what's the market not giving them? So, yeah. um, what, you know, things like that, you know, how I was using your tool and how other people can do it. But like, what are, do you have any other tips or, or hacks or just like cool ways that people can kind of use your tool or just find some of those kind of, kind of those unique opportunities? Yeah. So I think that I personally think that's the best hack in the tool actually is to uh, look for products or markets or keywords that people are searching but not buying very much um, because like you said it's like an underserved market and you can there's opportunity for you to to serve that market well essentially so I, I think you found the best hack the, my, my second favorite is is probably using the the keyword search function again and just it's it's cool to type in like instead of selling sheets put in Type in sheets, you can do like a partial uh, phrase match. So you can put in the keyword sheet and then it's and then put in your your criteria around sales and, and whatever. But it's cool because you can start finding what we call these micro niches of opportunity. So don't sell don't sell sheets, but like you'll see there's the opportunity to sell like flannel sheets or or uh, I, I don't even know. There, there's like a bunch of different types of, of sheets, cotton sheets or uh, silk sheets. Like basically sub markets around sheets. So the sheets market is is like uh, really competitive at this point, and it's o it's oversaturated. But to be able to go and drill in and find these sub markets in the overall saturated market is a cool opportunity where you can kind of find your find your place in the Amazon ecosystem to to bring like cool products to market. The the second is I kind of mentioned this. I really like going in and finding brands that are growing quickly. Um, so in brand search, you can you can sort by like products or where they have three products, but they're doing $100,000 a month, and it's it's a private label seller essentially. Um, and it's really interesting to see what are the products that are helping them to go and be successful. Okay, excellent. And a little side note about like sheets. I, a long time ago, I used to have like some satin sheets or some silk sheets or something like that. And I had to get rid of them because I was like, I felt like I was sliding off the bed all the time, like ready to <laughs> hit the ground. So I was like, I got to get rid of these things. Like at the end of the night, I didn't want to be ended up on the floor for whatever reason. They were just so damn slippery. <laughs> all right. So if, so the lesson learned, if you're, if you're listening, don't sell silk sheets. Yeah. I don't know. Some, <laughs> some, uh, some craziness happens with that. I don't know. I had to get rid of them. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so kind of shifting gears just a little bit here. Uh, I, I wanted to get your take on something just because, yeah. you know, you're, you're really involved in this, um, reviews. So 
here we are, you know, again, 2019, uh, obviously the review game has completely changed all the, it's been changing all the time. And now everything is becoming pretty much very legit with how Amazon is filtering everything. So if, you know, for a newer seller listening, they're just kind of getting started. They keep hearing, oh, they need to get reviews. And, you know, they keep hearing that it's, it's harder, it's harder now. So what advice or like, what are, what are some good ways that people can go out and stay within TOS, you know, not necessarily go black hat with anything crazy. Cause there's a lot of black hat stuff with this still out there. But uh, how can people legitimately go out and get reviews confidently that hopefully they don't get taken down by Amazon or whatever? Yeah. So I think the so I'll run you through kind of the the basics. You I, there's Amazon early reviewer program, sixty dollars I believe, um, sixty dollars for five reviews. But you have to drive sales in order to get those reviews, and it's it's not promised. But I think that that's absolutely worth it. I think a lot of people are like, you know, that's expensive. I'm not really willing to pay that. Well, reviews are are very, very important. Um, whether you're running PPC or whatever, wherever you are uh, in your product lifecycle, unless you have more reviews than everybody else, reviews are very important. And so I highly recommend paying the $60 for the five reviews. Uh, product, um, well, actually, sorry, email, sending emails on purchase is becoming less and less effective every day, um, but it still is somewhat effective. And so I, I can't suggest enough using some some tool like Feedback Genius or Feedback Wiz to start driving some uh, reviews that way. Uh, we use a two, we, we've literally split tested thousands of these. So like so far, our best strategy is sending two emails, one at the, the time of purchase, um, which essentially is saying, like it's like a value add. So let's say that you are selling pre-workout. Send them an email about pre-workout telling them how to get the most out of their pre-workout and how some of your your customers have had success with that. So, you know, take it 30 minutes before working out. There might be a tingling effect like in your face or whatever. Like really give them the rundown on the product because that's going to help um, make sure that less bad reviews come in because now people know how to use your product and there's hopefully going to be more good reviews because people you're starting to build this relationship and people are like, wow, you know, not only do I like the, the pre-workout, but you know, they've been helpful in making sure I get the most out of it. Um, and then the second email comes about three to yeah, somewhere around three to four days after purchase kind of depends on the product. Um, some products, it takes uh, quite a bit longer to kind of realize the value. Um, but anyways, we send the email about three to four days after they've received the product. That way they're still excited about what the, the new item, um, and then we kind of just ask for a review and say, you know, uh, how's your experience been? We, we're hoping that you're really loving your pre-workout. Maybe here's an, a, an additional tip. Um, and by the way, like reviews are critical for our success. And if you've loved the product, if you could please help us out by leaving a review, that'd be amazing. Um, something like that. The, the biggest tip is how you're going to be building out your your subject lines. So you can't sub uh, suggest enough to split test your subject lines, <laughs> getting into the weeds. Uh, and then product inserts is something that I don't think is a hundred percent within Amazon's terms of service. So I don't want to publicly say that I am suggesting it. I just want to say that I see a lot of success, sometimes even somewhere around 10% review rates, um, depending on your market with product inserts. And essentially what those inserts are doing is let's say that you sell a pre-workout. Well, you'll provide a product insert that says, hey, go to this 
uh, website, which is kind of where the TOS problem comes in. But they say, hey, go to this URL. It's a shortened URL that says one of free, I don't know, some uh, amino acids or you have basically a free sample. You're, there's something free to give them that goes along with your pre-workout. Or let's say you're selling uh, silicone straws, reusable straws. Well, hey, you want two free extra straws or three free extra straws? Go to this URL and you get their information and you ask them to leave a review and you send them the uh, reusable straws or the, the extra whatever. And you ask them for a review on confirmation that you've sent it. It's not a, a prerequisite to getting the products. It's just a couple of reminders and you have their information to do that. That actually works really well. And then I think the number one most underrated uh, strategy for getting reviews is actually product packaging. I think that... Um, the customer's perception of your product is going to be heavily dependent on their their experience with it. And you know, I know personally, if I receive a product and the packaging is cool, I'm like, oh wow, this this product is cool. Before I've even seen the product, I just like the packaging. Versus, you know, I've, I've gotten stuff drop shipped over from you know AliExpress or whatever, and it, the packaging is just terrible. And I'm like, I my my predisposition to the product at that point is that this is a low quality product. So, um. Long, and I've, I've, I've seen this work. So I, I see people getting reviews literally just because their packaging is, is done so well. And so it's a little bit extra to have that product, that great product packaging. But if you're getting reviews at a you know faster rate, then it's going to help you to be much more competitive. It's going to help you to drive sales much faster and so forth. Yeah, that's excellent, man. I, I couldn't agree more on the, the, the packaging part. It's all about the experience. So you mentioned touching them through the, the messaging system, just kind of you know adding value and things like that. And uh, obviously, once they get that box from Amazon, they're excited. And if they if it comes in something other than a poly bag or whatever, <laughs> you know, if it's nice looking, it's about the whole experience. So I agree. Sometimes I get stuff and like, you know, I've ordered off of Amazon. It might be a, a private label or third party seller or whatever, just for my own personal. If, if like the packaging stinks or they don't even have any like literature or it's just the product that arrives and that's it. And it's just in a little kind of a junky bag or whatever. It kind of pre like sets my mind to kind of go, ah, you know, like all right off the bat, like this isn't that cool or whatever. And the product might be okay. But again, if it came in something like a giftable box or like, it looks like they gave a damn when, they, yeah. you know, like, like they're <laughs> thinking of me and you know, they got like a nice little manual or guide or whatever it is that you're selling. And it's kind of like, if they go above and beyond, like you notice that kind of stuff. And I think that all kind of sits in the back of your mind as a customer, when you actually do decide to go in and leave a review, whenever that is, sometimes customers don't do that for weeks or months. Yeah. And I think that all kind of plays. So yeah, that's, those are great points. So, you know, if, if for anybody listening out there, you know, if you're just getting started, poly bag for packaging might suffice kind of day one as you're going, but as you want to go along, then there might be times where you do want to upgrade that packaging because you could get more five-star reviews for just simply making that upgrade. So yeah. that's very good information there. Um, so let's shift some gears now. Let's, uh, let's talk about Amazon pay-per-click. Lots happening in this space. Lots happening. I know you guys have been all over it and, uh, you guys have been, you know, obviously you're very data-driven. Um, so let's, yeah. let's talk about this for a second, just because again, there's just so many new things being added to the, to the PPC platform. Um, what are you guys seeing? What data, what results are you guys seeing from either like the new placement options or even like the new targeting options? Like what's sticking out? Yeah. So I, I think that 
just the way PPC has been going for us and the brands that we're working with, as well as just some of the feedback that we've been getting from people that are starting to kind of implement some of these strategies. It's, I, I, I'm a bit more optimistic about the opportunity on Amazon, essentially. Like, I think that there's, there's just, there's a lot of low hanging fruit opportunities when it comes to PPC to drive your overall results that, that people traditionally haven't been taking advantage of. And so it, it creates the opportunity for people that are are going to use these strategies. So um, in terms of what what's working, I think there's we're, we're trying to get everyone to kind of shift their mentality around keyword ranking. So I think you have to take a step back a little bit. And the old mentality with trying to use PBC to drive keyword ranking was essentially I'm going to tell Amazon what I should rank for. And what I mean by this is they would, you know, let's say you're selling a fish oil or yeah, let's say you're selling a fish oil. And what people will do is they say, well, fish oil has the most traffic. And so I want to rank for fish oil. So what they do is they, they bid as aggressively as possible for fish oil. And so they, they could use the top of search uh, placements and bid modifier to, to make sure that they are showing uh, only above the fold. Um, but regardless, let's say that they, they just spend a, a ton of money. $10 uh, is what they set their, their bid to for their cost per click. And they want to be in the first ad position. And the, they're, they're driving sales super unprofitably. But they say, I don't care. I just want the sales. And so I've seen so many people use this as their, their PPC strategy to try to drive keyword ranking. And they end up spending hundreds or thousands of dollars in PPC just trying to rank for this keyword. And what a lot of people don't realize is that your performance metrics in PPC have a big impact in your organic ranking. So if you have low click-through rate, low conversion rate on PPC, that's actually going to negatively impact your keyword ranking. It's going to be harder to drive ranking. So the old mentality saying, I want to rank for uh, fish oil, so I'm going to spend a ton of money, even if it's unprofitably, for this keyword to drive ranking. That, that just doesn't work anymore. What, what we're trying to shift everybody to, to thinking about is like kind of going with the flow almost, is, is what, are the, what are customers telling me my product should be ranking for? Okay. Uh, is that you? No, that wasn't me. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no worries, man. So that's, so that's interesting. So you're just saying, you know, I, I think a lot of times, yeah, that was maybe the old mentality where people would just say, you know, I have a, a, a decent budget for PPC. They just launched a product and they're just going to crank it, right? Find the, the top keywords that they want to rank for and just, just kind of go bloody with it. And if, if they lost money, so be it, they would kind of just bully their way to the top. So what you're saying is that's just a really bad idea now, right? Yeah, 100%. So, like, what you should be doing is you should go and I like it's all about finding the words that are going to be driving your sales and are going to be converting well for you. So, like, you want to keep your PPC performance metrics up. And at the end of the day, you want to drive the most efficient sales possible because it's those sales that are going to help to drive your keyword ranking. So, like, instead of fish oil, forget about fish oil for the next three weeks. Like you need to build up reviews. You need to build up sales so that you can actually get ranking for that keyword and you can kind of maintain, uh, your, your ranking once you do achieve that. So if we're looking at fish oil, there may be some long tail, like mid volume or low volume keyword set that is going to look or like convert well for you. It's less competitive. And so let's, let's say like, uh, 
best fish oil omega-3 supplement is a keyword and it gets 900 searches a month or you know 1200 searches per month and there's not many people that have that keyword phrase in their title um and and you do or you put it there and like the average review quantity among the top 10 sellers is lower so there's an opportunity for you to prioritize a word that nobody else is paying attention to and the cost per click is going to be a lot lower on this this keyword uh, traditionally, usually. Um, so now you're paying, instead of $10 for fish oil, now you're paying 75 cents per click or something like that. So basically the strategy is to find these mid-volume, low-volume keywords that are high converters, there's enough volume, it's not super competitive, where you're gonna be able to go and have success much easier. And so essentially we've, we've flipped the strategy around versus focusing on one keyword, we are focusing on a, a subset of keywords that are converting well for us that are going to allow us to drive ranking pretty easily and where we're going to be able to get organic sales. Like the focus now, a lot of the time, if we're trying to rank for the keyword fish oil, we don't even target fish oil just because the cost per click is so high. What we end up doing is we end up ranking for so many mid-volume, low-volume keywords that we start getting ranking for high-volume keywords just because we've optimized our listing well. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. So that's that's really good, really good information there. Um, now, I think it was uh, fairly recently, maybe a few weeks ago or what have you, you guys were playing around with like uh, the, the placement options that Amazon has yeah. recently given us. And I think you guys, I think it was you guys that found some correlation or some good data and um, results from uh, kind of focusing in on trying to show up near the top and the top search. I, I don't yeah. know, I, was that you guys that were talking about that? Yeah, yeah, so uh, you want me to kind of run through what we saw? Yeah, very, very curious. I think that'd be great for the audience. Nice, so so we looked at about a million dollars in in ad spend and so, I think it was like January 1st or very close to January 1st of 2019, they, they opened up this new feature uh, called placements and you can now get data uh, even historically on campaign performance by where it's showing up. So what a lot of people didn't realize is, well, some people, a lot of people kind of knew this, but they didn't realize to what effect. So basically there's three placements where your ad, your keyword targeted ad could be showing up. This is for auto campaigns. Let's say you run an exact match campaign for the keyword fish oil. Um, essentially you could create a campaign for keyword fish oil. And um, traditionally you, you thought that the majority of your sponsored ads for that campaign for fish oil were showing up in the search results. Well, it turns out that some of the time your product is probably showing in the search results. Some of the time it's actually showing on competitors' deep detail pages. So when someone searches fish oil, then they go to a competitor listing in the sponsored products related to section. Um, your 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 ad for the keyword targeted campaign is showing in that uh, placement, and then so on that detail page. And then thirdly is is called rest of search. So there's top of search, which is kind of the depending on how many results show up, the the top two to um, I think it's four listings that show up above the fold. So when you search fish oil, there's just a couple of sponsored ads that show up above the fold. So that's called top of search. There's product pages, which is where, um, you know, on competitors detail pages. And then there's rest of search, which is like, you know, above the fold on page one, page two and so forth. So what we saw when looking at, um, we kind of averaged out about a million dollars in ad spend, 84% of keyword targeted traffic was actually coming from product pages, which was like mind boggling. And the average click-through rate on, um, 
uh, these product pages was like 0.25%. So incredibly low click-through rate, whereas the average uh, click-through rate for top of search I don't remember the exact number anymore, but it's like four or five percent. So significantly, like significantly higher. The average click-through rate was a lot higher. Sorry, conversion rate was a lot higher. In um, I think the average conversion rate on product pages was seven percent, and it. Yeah, I don't remember the numbers anymore. It, I think it was twelve percent for top of search. So. You, you get the point. There's yeah. significant differences in your performance based on where you're showing up. And a lot of the time, Amazon was actually showing you on product pages uh, where the, the traffic quality is a lot lower. And, you know, nobody knew this, essentially. So why do you think that is? Do you think that's the psychology of the customer that if they see a product more towards the top of a page that they maybe equate it to being better quality or more important to Amazon or like they, they think Amazon's really trying to showcase this more of a feature type of thing, or it's just, they don't scroll down as, as often or, or what, what do you think? Yeah. So I, the, the main reason I think is because Amazon, let's say you're selling a fish oil again. Well, the majority or, or, uh, the, the product that is getting the most traffic is going to be Dr. Tobias's fish oil with 11,000 reviews, uh, good price point, like a product that is selling really well. And so for your product with 150 reviews is not going to perform very well um, when compared to Dr. Tobias's fish oil. And so I think Amazon is showing you on product pages that you have no business showing up on because you're not relatively competitive to that product. So if someone clicks on Dr. Tobias's fish oil, that, that means that they have interest in Dr. Tobias's fish oil. They're not they're not expressing interest in your own product. So basically the quality of traffic for your product is lower. Now the quite like, uh, if you're asking why Amazon is showing people on product pages, uh, versus just in search results for keyword targeted campaigns, it's because there's not enough traffic for everybody to like the cost per click would be much, much higher. If Amazon was only showing keyword targeted campaigns in, um, search results. And so you'd get a lot less traffic and the traffic would be a lot more expensive. So in order for them to get a good amount of traffic, they're showing you on those product pages. Interesting. Interesting. So, um, let's say I'm a brand new seller. Okay. I got my fancy new product or whatever, launching it out there and eventually I'm going to want to start up pay-per-click. Could you just give that seller just kind of a quick one-on-one of like a generalized strategy? to attack PPC, like a campaign structure? Like what, what, what do you guys usually recommend? Yeah, hundred percent. So essentially if you're a brand new seller, there, there's three types of campaigns that you should be creating. One is an auto campaign. This allows Amazon to go and identify keywords that they think you're relevant for. And a lot of times you'll see the lowest cost per clicks in these auto campaigns. Um, it's just a great way to identify keywords that you, you convert well. The, the the team calls it buying data. And so you you have this great new fancy product and you don't know how it converts for any word. Like you may think that uh, best omega-3 fish oil is like a really good keyword because you have, you're selling uh, an omega-3 uh, fish oil. But in reality, like customers may not be convert. Uh, like not may not agree with you. And so you may not convert well for that keyword. You need to find the keywords where your product converts well. Like that data is super important. So um, setting up an auto campaign, leave the default default bid uh, and set a, a budget of at least $20. So you're getting some, some, some decent traffic through there. A lot of the time we'll see, I don't know if this is 
the case as much with auto campaigns, but if you don't have at least $20 uh, budget in the budget for a campaign, then you're not going to be delivering uh, very well for that. So the second campaign that you should go and set up is a product targeting campaign. So product targeting ads are, so there's keyword targeting ads where you can target a specific keyword or, um, with a different match type phrase, broad, exact. Um, and yes, some of that traffic will show up on product pages like we just talked about. But there's now, this is new as of November, there's product targeting campaigns where you can specify which ASINs you want to deliver on. So let's say that you're selling a fish oil and your fish oil is is $20. And a lot of other fish oils are more expensive. You have good review or let's say you don't have very many reviews, you have a couple of reviews, but you have a very good rating. So you could go and show on fish oils that have a higher price and a lower review rating. So you have a five star, uh, shows five stars, but everybody, or you can find products that have four stars on average. So basically what you're doing is you're finding products where you are relatively competitive. Like people are probably gonna buy your product when comparing the two. And so you can specify the list of competitors that you want to deliver for in the sponsored products related to. And this is right now Amazon's most efficient or cheapest traffic source. And so we get, we, we're seeing just amazing results from um, like the sponsored products related to section, the product targeting campaign. So absolutely go identify competitors and even complementary items. So a lot of people miss this. So if you're selling, let's say a cutting board, um, then people, if you go look at the frequently bought with or customers who bought this also bought or customers who, who view this page also viewed, um, you can start to get a feel for what, cu what customers are buying at the same time. So you'll see, for example, with a cutting board, uh, you'll see knife sets that are, are frequently bought with or you'll see um, cutting board oil to make sure like it doesn't crack or something. Um, so there's opportunity for you to run ads actually on those pages and we see good results. So. Uh, there's a lot there. You'll you'll create a, a product targeting campaign, identify a handful of ASINs, not too many initially, and you can you can manage it just like your search results. If if it's not delivering well for a particular competitor, then you know you can turn them off or you you can remove that or add, add them as a negative. There's um, yeah some good pruning opportunities there. And then thirdly is a campaign that we call discovery campaign. Um, so we do a lot of like very particular keyword research around finding these mid-volume uh, keywords that we think that you will are, are very relevant and maybe aren't very competitive and we'll create um, one campaign um, but we'll have a, a phrase match and a broad match ad group um, and then we'll we'll put all five of those there's like five to 15 words in this discovery campaign um, and we, we just want to see how well you you deliver for those those keywords essentially um, again you need at least 20 to 30 dollars in that budget so if you're a brand new seller you have a 20 dollars budget just create an auto campaign if you have a 40 dollar a day budget create an auto campaign product targeting campaign if you have 60 dollars then um, auto product targeting and this discovery campaign where you're Essentially, the keywords have high opportunity and you want to see, again, how well you convert for all these words. The first two weeks is just really understanding what keywords you're performing well for so that, like I was saying, the, the, the trick is to follow the efficient traffic, not to rank for any particular keyword. And so from this data, you'll start to get a good feel for what keywords are performing well for you. And then are you just graduating those ones from a broader phrase into, the, into an exact at a certain point or... Yeah, so basically what we do there is if there's over a, a like 
there's some threshold, usually somewhere around a thousand searches. So yeah, so for keywords that perform well, um, we'll create that have under a thousand searches per month. We'll have one campaign, which is contains multiple words there that are low volume. So low search volume keywords that are performing well, we'll put them all in one campaign. Um, and then for each keyword that has more than a thousand searches, uh, that is performing well, we'll, we'll create, uh, an individual exact match campaign for each of those words, uh, so that you can independently scale them up. Excellent. You know, what you, you mentioned, um, creating a, a t product targeting and focusing it off of like the frequently bought or like related items. And I, I shared that with my audience, uh, maybe some, some weeks ago, I've had a lot of success with that because I figured that's, that's data straight from Amazon, you know, Amazon showing you frequently bought and whatever's on the detail page, like, you know, kind of related products and things like that. So that's, that's, uh, as far as my experience, that's like really great to target those ASINs and kind of build off of that. I've had a ton of success with, uh, driving really the heck out of those extra sales. Just, nice. by, just, just by thinking of that way, just, just even starting with the frequently bought together. Like I think most listings will have what, at least what one or two different products that they're yeah. showcasing along with yours that are frequently bought together. So that's kind yep. of the easy one to think about. And if you, even if you just started there and then you can kind of just drill down and, and, uh, that, that's, that's advice I would again, give, give to the audience in case you didn't hear that podcast that I did on that uh, a few weeks ago. Um, anything else to add on, on, on pay-per-click? I mean, we, we kind of covered a lot of good stuff and I really like your campaign setup that, that you kind of mentioned there. And, uh, hopefully the, the audience really, uh, nice. listened to that again or wrote that down as far as like the structure of everything. Cause I think that's a common question there, but anything else to add around pay-per-click? No, just just a reminder, follow the traffic. Don't don't try to force any keywords. Um just go wherever the traffic leads you. Excellent, excellent advice. So, um traffic related, just a quick question. So, you know, obviously you're talking as we mentioned here a lot with uh, you know, eight-figure sellers, nine-figure sellers. Um what are those particular top sellers doing? when it comes to external traffic. So we can all agree that kind of the price of admission now on Amazon, it's not just having a great product and a great listing, but it is, you know, required essentially in a lot of cases that, yeah, you're driving pay-per-click, but I think, you know, what separates some of the top sellers aside from having more products than everybody else um, is that they are probably driving some sort of consistent external traffic. Uh, what, what do you kind of have to say about that? Like what, what's, uh, what's the common theme there? Is there any specific like traffic source that they're using a lot of externally or what, what can you add on that? Yeah. So it's, it's funny enough. So my nine figure seller friends are actually not doing any outside traffic. They, they've tried, um, and they're just really good at the Amazon traffic. And so they spend all their money um, whether it's running promotions or PPC, they spend all their money essentially on Amazon traffic in order to drive their sales. They, they've messed around with outside traffic. They, it's taken them down some bad paths where they're, you know, basically wasting time and it, it like, it just doesn't work out as well essentially. And so, um, my, like, but I am seeing more seven figure sellers and some eight figure sellers that are doing a much better job of, of driving external traffic. So like I've heard some, some case studies of Google AdWords helping to drive some good conversions. But the problem is, is that I've, I've heard and, you know, we've, we've done a good amount of testing around this ourselves and we even, you know, tried some very creative solutions. So we thought 
around driving traffic from Google AdWords to products and the conversion rate is, is so bad that you end up paying for your competitors to get a good amount of sales and it, it just doesn't seem to be worth it. Yikes. Next up, you, you have, what did you say? I said, yikes. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, a mess. Um, and we, again, we tested this quite extensively. So if anybody has better solutions, please let me know. Uh, when it comes to Facebook ads, like, or, or Facebook in general, I mean, at the end of the day, if you can build a real audience, then that's going to be a huge asset that you can leverage. It helps you to diversify. The problem is I've just seen far too many people um, fail and lose market share in their Amazon business because they they invest so heavily in trying to diversify and build out these these audiences outside of Amazon. So, But if, if you can do that, um, what a lot of people are doing right now is using um, Facebook ads to a mini chat chat bot to create an audience there and they they use that traffic They basically run, you know 90% off except through Facebook ads uh, Through many chats so they have the user they can follow up with them to then go and purchase the product on Amazon So they're essentially running giveaways except through Facebook ads and I think that that's a, a pretty effective strategy because you're getting people that are you know, relatively interested in your product, um, although there's a slight bias towards coupons um, from that group, but you you have an audience that you can go back to. So then next time you want to rank for a keyword or, you know, you've fallen in the rankings and you want to run again, then you can reach back out to that audience or you launch uh, another product. You can reach back out to that audience. So you start building up this buyer list of people that is going to help you to drive sales, drive con conversions, drive keyword ranking later. Um, so I see that working really well, largely around uh, seven figure sellers. A lot of the eight figure sellers, again, have just seen Amazon work really well for them. And they're just really doubled down on, on Amazon traffic. I'm not saying that's the best. I think ideally, if you can build the outside audience, then, um, like you're going to be in a really good place. I'm just a lot of the, the sellers that are having the most success are, are just using Amazon traffic. That's fascinating that you say that with, you know, a nine figure seller saying just sticking what, what works got them to that level. And I, you know, I, that's not necessarily what I, what I was expecting. You would kind of think, oh, they got some elaborate, you know, external traffic sources that they pay somebody to manage and they're doing audience building. And you know, like you mentioned, they, they kind of maybe tried some of that, but they figured, well, let's just stick with the hits. And yeah. <laughs> so that's pretty fascinating out there. So again, yeah, there's nothing wrong with building your own audience. And, and if you have a, a traffic source that's working, then go for it, go all in on it. But yeah, I guess the tried and true, as long as you just keep your focus on, on the ecosystem of Amazon, it can reward you. So that's that's really interesting. Um, yeah. So this is all really good stuff now. But, I, you know, when you guys first started Viral Launch, I think I remember it way back in the day, you guys were predominantly just doing launches. And you've evolved so much since then. You got your hands on a lot of different things in, in a lot of different services, yeah. helping the community and all this amazing stuff. Like what's next for you guys? What, what are you guys planning for the future? Yeah. I mean, I still think that there's a good amount to be done in the Amazon space still. So our focus really is on just continuing to, to scale our ability to, to drive results. Like, you know, we, we invest very heavily in, in being able to like use data to drive results. There's it's one thing to to have a lot of data and then you know show it in a tool like product discovery or something like that. It's a it's another layer to be able to like sorry. It's a, it's another layer to be able to take that 
data and actually drive results. So like we're, we're just all in on that. You know, we, we have an in-house data science team. We have a seven person R and D team and it's literally, uh, that team's job just to understand best practices for driving ranking, for driving reviews, for driving sales, like, uh, for PPC. So for us right now, we're, we're really happy just focusing on how can we drive results for our customers. That's excellent, man. Excellent. Now, just uh, kind of uh, winding things down here. If somebody's listening right now, kind of just, you know, maybe they're just getting started, kind of getting their feet wet, or maybe they've kind of struggled. They've threw a few products out there and they really are, are really working hard, but something's just not clicking. What advice would you give that person that, that wants to get to that, let's say six figure level or seven figure level, like they see a lot of sellers getting to like, what yeah. advice would you give to that person right now that's stuck and struggling? Well, like if they're struggling because they are kind of in this analysis paralysis stage, then, you know, I, I can't recommend enough that you take some action. Um, hedge your bet there, D you know, don't go all in necessarily on one product. Um, but like you're going to learn so much and you're going to fail so much along the way. And just getting started is a, a great opportunity for you to start learning and really start like whether you, you spend a month doing your research or you spend 12 months doing your research, you're going to make some mistakes along the way and you're going to fail. But like actually taking action is where you're really going to start getting down the path of, of learning how to do this right. So whether that's uh, a month from now or 12 months from now, you might as well get started now so that 12 months from now you're in a much, much better place. So if you are in that phase taking action, but then I have to you know, preface that with the fact that far too many people just take action and ask questions or try to do their research later. So you, you have to find this healthy mix of really doing your research, being diligent about, um, you know, taking notes and studying as much as possible, but then also pairing that well with, with taking action. Um, I, I, I think that's the biggest thing. I like, Really don't focus on trying to become a millionaire with your first product. And right now, you know, we're calling it micro niches. Be be comfortable with products that are selling, you know, ten thousand five to twenty thousand dollars a month top line. because um, again, you're gonna learn a lot through that process. And it's much better to learn um at a uh or fail at a low level than it is to fail with ten thousand units because you're trying to sell a hundred thousand dollars uh per month on your first product. Um so yeah. Take things slow, but, but do it very quickly. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. Take action. Yeah. Great advice there. Casey, I want to thank you so, so much for taking time out of your day. I know you're very busy. Um, you've offered just amazing knowledge here. You're a true asset to the community and, uh, you know, we're, we're very grateful for your time here today. Thank you so much. Now, where can people find you online? Uh, so, I mean, Obviously, viral-launch.com is where we're at, and that's where some of the stuff that we've talked about, we've been putting out a lot of this kind of training on YouTube, um, if you're ever interested. Uh, but to find me personally, I'm, I'm on Instagram. You can just It's just Casey Goss, and uh, you can see some of the day-to-day the -day behind the scenes of Viral Launch. Awesome, man. Awesome. I actually seen, too, don't, don't you have like a, a personal YouTube channel kind of going, too? I do. I do, Yes. Yeah, that was pretty cool, man. So I don't, I don't know if you're, what your plans are for that, but that was kind of that was kind of cool. Thanks, man. It's it's going a little slower than I expected, but uh, I think I think the content is a lot more valuable like six years from now. Uh, so we're we're just trying to capture how we we grew and built Viral Launch, and it'll be cool looking back someday on on what that process looked like. 
Excellent. Excellent. So in closing, uh, again, thank you. And we will hopefully talk to you in the near future. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Wow. 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 That was great. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. And you took a lot away from it. Cause again, there was so much value being offered there. So many little nuggets that I was kind of picking up. And again, hopefully you guys were, were taking those away as well, just as I was, um, visit the show notes. You're going to want to check out the show notes for this episode, for sure. Go to privatelabelershow.com forward slash 116. Okay. So here are my takeaways from that conversation. I don't know if they're the same as yours, but here are some of the key points. So uh, we talked in there, you guys might've heard about eight figure sellers and nine figure sellers. Like what's really the big difference between those types of sellers and maybe somebody that's at the six figure or seven figure level. And what I took away from that is Casey said, well, it's really just about doing what's already working. So if you have, I think he said 10 products out there, add 10 more and just keep doing what's already working on Amazon and don't try to reinvent the wheel. But the problem though, that he kind of stressed in there is that people become the bottleneck in their businesses. Like if you try to add more products, it's just a, such a big workload to try to manage all that, that a lot of sellers don't know how to outsource or are afraid to outsource because they're afraid to give up control of their business. I think he stated that, you know, a lot of sellers can get to seven figures on their own. But to get to that eight, you really have to kind of get into the outsourcing game to help get help, uh, you know, adding those additional products out there. So just stick with what's working and don't be the bottleneck in your business. And then we moved along to uh, things like product selection. So he said that the top sellers have a long-term vision and a strategy. They're not just picking random products based on criteria that look good. They have a big picture vision, okay? So I thought that was really important. The other thing too that was also really cool is he stated to go for the boring niches where not many sellers would think to go. He mentioned office supplies, okay? It just Again, it's not a super sexy thing, but it kind of makes sense. Uh, doesn't attract a lot of attention, but therefore there's still a lot of buyers, a lot of people buying that stuff. But again, it's, it's not something that you're going to braid your friends that you're selling. Okay. So that was kind of interesting. Go for the kind of the more of the mundane type of boring categories out there. And, uh, you know, finding what he, what he mentioned too, about finding product markets, not just products. Okay. So it's about thinking kind of bigger picture about everything and not just cherry picking random products all over the board. Okay. And then uh, getting into PPC, wow, he, he was really on a roll there. So big takeaways that I had from that were focusing in on longer tail, lower competition keywords now, instead of out of the gate, trying to fight for the, you know, the top main high traffic keywords that are going to cost way too much money per click anyway. So kind of starting smaller with those uh, victory, smaller victory keywords and kind of building upon those as he stated, you know, just, just cranking PPC and throwing a ton of money at things and just buying your way to the top really just doesn't work anymore. And then in closing, you know, he had great advice there that you're going to hear a lot is just taking action. It's, you know, every little action that you can take, is just one step closer to where you need to be. Failure is okay. Failure is just feedback and failure is good at the end of the day. Okay. So again, check out the show notes, privatelabelershow.com forward slash 116. And what I will also do in the show notes is I'm going to link a couple of videos I made because he talked about uh, when we were talking about product selection, he talked about uh, his product discovery tool for viral launch. So I actually did videos for that a while back that I will link up in there kind of showing how I would use it to find products 
And uh, you guys can take a look at those videos if you have not yet seen them already. I'll embed them in the blog post. So again, privatelabelershow.com forward slash 116. So that about does it, guys. I'll talk to you later. This episode of The Private Labeler Show has ended. Please show your support for the podcast by subscribing for more business strategies and tactics to help you build your empire. Also, make sure to leave us a review on iTunes. See you in the next episode.